This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. Instead of freaking out like most people do about what's the right investment, am I in the right investment? Am I, should I take advantage of this? Should I do this? The first question we can now ask ourselves is, if I need to save X amount of money, I need, let's say, an 8% rate of return, which investments have done that historically? And what that does, it takes all this fear missing out and makes me laser focused on a much smaller group of investments. And what's cool is, then I'm only researching stuff that matters to me. dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're talking about how we can start with the end in mind. Throughout our family financial journey, I always heard that I should be saving and investing. And at its surface, it sounds smart, but it also sounds kind of boring. (laughs) Save for what? Invest for what? Not only does it sound boring, but it can also lead to a lack of motivation. Well, our guest today is helping us put some definition around our saving and our investing. And as with most all things, he's making it more fun too. Returning to us once again here on the podcast is Joe Salcihai. Joe is the host of the multi-award winning Stacking Benjamins podcast. After 16 years in the financial industry, Joe has taken his learnings and expertise and created one of the most listened to podcasts in the personal finance sphere. He is also the co-author of the new book, Stacked, your super serious guide to modern money management, which is available Now, when Joe isn't helping his listeners and readers stack Benjamins, he's enjoying beautiful Texarkana with his spouse, Cheryl, and his occasionally feisty cat, Cooper. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Joe. He is feisty. You know, because more, more important than any of that, we used to be neighbors. Joe used to live, oh, just not even a mile away, and we would play board games. I'd watch his cat. Zoe actually made up a song about your cat while she was brushing her teeth. So we go way back. Well, it was cool because we knew each other professionally first. And then when I moved to town, I was thrilled when I found out that we get to be neighbors. And yeah, it was, we'll put it this way. It was drunk stumbling distance (laughs) away from each each other. (laughs) I thought I was doing the right thing by getting one of those like electric scooters so I could scoot drunk back and forth from your house. But I'm not sure that was legal. At least I was staying on the sidewalk. Uh. (laughs) Anyway, starting with the end in mind, why don't we jump back to that? You and I could talk all day. Let's talk about the start with the end in mind. I know you love this mantra by Stephen Covey. How can we apply this to our saving and our investing so it doesn't become boring or just sort of lack of motivation to do it? Yeah, I think it's I think it's very difficult to, to save for some of these long-term goals because you think, okay, you, you know, for me, I messed it up with a sweater at Nordstrom and an American Express card that I never should have had, right? And by the way, I was at a military college. I was at the Military College of South Carolina, the Citadel. So I couldn't even wear a sweater. And I'm in South Carolina. What do I do buying a sweater? But I bought it. I bought it on credit. No idea how I was going to pay for it. But I guess my point is, is that's a lot of us. I could see the sweater. I thought the sweater looked fantastic, right? I could imagine it on. It was the late 80s, so I was going to look like Duran Duran. It was going to be killer. 
It was so bad, by the way. It was like this purple color that just, and, and I still have it in my closet. I should have worn it today so that we could see it, but I got Mr. Rogers going instead here. We see the thing in front of us, Andy. We know what it is. We don't see these long-term goals. Like you hear, you know, I used to call them when I was a financial planner, the Puritan ethic goals. You know, people people think we have this ethic that comes to us from a long, long time ago, but I got to save for retirement or I got to save for college or I got to save for, I got to do this stuff. And it's funny because when I was a financial planner, people's eyes would, you see the fire go out of their eyes, right? And I would use this deli approach then of asking, well, what else, Andy? What else are you saving for? What else you say for? You know how you go to the deli and, and, and you're like, hey, I want some ham. And you get the ham and then the person says, what else? I would do that. What else? What else? And finally they'd say, oh, you know what I really want? And they'd lean forward and you could tell this is the real goal, right? This is the thing that we're really excited about. And then, and they could see that goal. So the more we can see that goal on the end, like I saw that sweater at the mall, the easier it's going to be to save for that long-term thing. Which, by the way, also gets rid of a problem that I think we have. We use these rules of thumb a lot, which, by the way, work, right? But the problem with the rule of thumb is it doesn't give us the texture. We can't see where we're going to be later on. And we're like, okay, if I 25X my lifestyle today, I got enough money, blah, blah, blah. Does that number work? Sure. Yeah, kind of. But but does it take all the fun out of saving? It makes it this death march for a lot of people. One approach that you talk about in your book is timelining your goals as opposed to just sort of these arbitrary numbers out there. So talk to us about what timelining your goals means. There's some serious science behind this, and it's two things. Number one is as people, we have this fight or flight response, right? I that We've got this little lizard brain, and the lizard brain isn't worried about the goal 25, 30 years from now. The lizard brain is worried about what do I have to deal with first, and let's get that out of the way. So how many times have you talked to friends, or maybe it's, maybe it's somebody hanging out with us here, Andy, listening, who's thinking to themselves, you know what? I will start investing one once I get my debt paid off, or I will start planning for my kids' college once I get this credit card taken care of, or I will start. So we have we have this tendency to look at the next thing in line and not look long-term. That's, that's issue number one. Number two is our brains are very visual. In other words, how many times have we heard, write down your goals? We hear this all the time. And, you know, I don't know about you. You you do interviews as much as I do. Every person that talks to me goes, well, you start off by writing down your goals. Okay, great. And by the way, that is the right thing to do. But we are visual. We are totally visual. There's three types of people in the world. There are visuals, audios, and kinesthetics. You can generally tell who's who because visuals will say, that looks good. Like, even if they're listening, they'll use the verbiage, that looks good. Or, and audios will use, sounds good to me. People that are kinesthetic, which is the smallest group, will say, well, this feels like a good thing. You know, this really feels good. But even audios and kinesthetics, because we live in a very visual society, kind of think and and adapt to visual ways of looking at things. When you put all your goals in a timeline, that's visual. In other words, you take stick people that represent you and anybody else you're planning with on one end. And in the book we have, I don't know if you know this, Andy, but they have like a bag of money and a martini. So, so we, put, we, we put them on one end and then you draw this timeline out of, okay, I've got retirement down here and I've got all these goals that are in the middle. 
then we see all of them. We don't just see the next thing. So now our lizard brain starts thinking about, oh, I got this big retirement thing that's out here. And we start asking a few natural questions. Question number one is, well, what do each of these goals cost? Like if I, if I look at retirement and I back that down to today, there's this equation that looks like this. It's how much money do I need to save? What rate of return do I need to get that goal? And then I have all my other goals. So as an example, you know, I, I remember this one family I was working with, their child was going to go to college at the same time that they told me they wanted to retire, but they hadn't, you know, they thought about, okay, I want to retire when I'm 55. And also we want to help our kid get through college. And then we put it on a timeline and I went, Hey, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but your kid's a sophomore in college on the day you're going to retire. And they go, man, I never, I never thought about that. And don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean you can't do it, but think about the awesome conversations that you and Nicole would have if you've got these two goals happening at the same time, or Cheryl and I would have, or whoever, or I even have internally if I'm, I'm doing it by myself. And what's great about timelining for me is that you start having these wonderful conversations about how do our goals play against each other? Which ones can we afford? Which ones can't we afford? Or if we can afford all of them, why don't we get more? Why don't we get more crazy, right? But if we can't afford them all, do we push it back? Do we lower the goal? Do we find ways to save more money? Like we open up all these cool, cool conversations that really is the fabric of getting where we want to go. I love that. And you know, to your point on the visual reference, I am always more motivated when I can see the reality of what retirement is or that vacation. Like you don't go to vacation without looking at pictures of vacation, right? You know I mean, it's like, oh, I've heard this destination is nice. I'm not going to look at it at all. No, you need a visual of it. So you're like, yes, I am there. I'm excited. I remember Andy with the first time we took our kids to Disney and, and we stayed at a Disney hotel and Disney, which is by the way, 18 bags of money, right? That you're going to put at the altar of the mouse, but <laughs> no martini. No, no the mar- yeah. The martini is gone. Yes. We're barely going to make it. I remember Disney sent us these maps of the parks and my kids would go over these maps of the parks and dream about like, oh, we're going to ride this and we're going to ride that. And they'd show us pictures of the hotel and we're staying at the Wilderness Lodge. It could be this cool place. And yeah, you're right. Let's talk about some of these big goals because I think that helps a lot of people visually even we can describe it. So we're talking about retirement. We've placed it on our timeline. How does somebody decide where it goes on the timeline? How can I get there? Talk to us about that process of about placing that at the right place and making sure the picture looks great. The key there, Andy, I think is placing it wherever the hell you want. Number one, place it where you want and let's see if it works, right? Because it's going to be a very simple math equation, still going to be, I'm going to need to save X amount of money, Y return on my money to get the goal. Now, the, the important thing isn't just retirement, it's how does retirement jive, I guess to use the technical word, uh, how does it jive with your other goals? Like, like I mentioned with college, it, college might, might end up intersecting or I might have these medium-term goals that I think I want more than an early retirement. Also, another key is I think that when it comes to retirement, if you're close to retirement, a lot of the time the timeline, you can break down that retirement 
goal. As an example, some people have in their early years, they've got a lot of stuff they want to do during retirement. I want to travel here. I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to buy the RV. I might want a second house. I got all these things. So I can take that big retirement goal and now I can build a timeline of what I want to do during those healthy years that I have. And you hear about people that are big time retirement planners talk about, you know, you've got your your short-term bucket, your middle-term bucket, and still the long-term bucket. Big mistake people make when they get to retirement is they take all their money and they put it in that short-term bucket as if they're going to retire at age 55 and they're going to spend every dollar within, that's never going to happen. So you're, you need some money early, middle, late. But I think for most people listening, especially if they're still in the family and the planning stage, it's much more about set it where you want it and see if you can get it. And by the way, the cool thing about this too that we didn't mention, we mentioned a few cool things. Here's another one. Cool thing about timelining your goals is this, is that everybody worries, as you know, like what's the right investment? Like I see you on social media, people are asking you that, Andy, all the time. Like, hey, what's the, what's, what's the right investment? Heck, I remember when you were deciding if you were going to go into real estate. Remember when you were thinking, you know, about buying properties, buying houses? That was on the timeline. <laughs> yeah. Is this the right investment or is it not? But the first thing should be this. Investments have growing seasons. And so if you think about, I grew up in West Michigan in farm country and everything had a growing season. Corn, you planted at a certain time and then you harvested it at a certain time. And you didn't do it differently than that. Why? Because you knew it worked. And investments are kind of the same way. For short-term things, you've got savings accounts, money markets, CDs. Middle-term, you might have bonds or a little medium-long, medium-term, like seven, eight years, you might go into balanced funds. But you get 10 years and longer. Stocks and real estate historically have kicked inflation's butt. So those are good there. So instead of freaking out like most people do, about what's the right investment? Am I in the right investment? Am I, should I take advantage of this? Should I do this? The first question we can now ask ourselves is, if I need to save X amount of money and I need, let's say, an 8% rate of return, which investments have done that historically? Like, And, and what that does, it takes all this fear missing out and makes me laser focused on a much smaller group of investments. And what's cool is, then I'm only researching stuff that matters to me and and my the back of my head is always kind of telling me, oh, I'm missing something. The chance that you're missing something, I think, is also a lot less than. I really like how you broke down even retirement's got its own seasons. I've heard it as the the go-go, the slow-go, the no-go, you know, where you eventually, eventually you're not going to go very much, but you still need some money to live. So as you're breaking down the retirement side of things, you're also maybe deciding how much am I going to need in the initial stages? You know, originally I was kind of gung-ho about this fire stuff and financial independence. I'm like, I eventually don't want to work at all. I think that'd be really neat. But now I've got a job that I really love. And I'm thinking about that in my retirement. I don't know if I want to ever stop working. How does somebody who actually appreciates what they do and they're not looking for that finish line to cross have that impact how much they need to save and where they need to put it with regard to their, I guess, official retirement age? No, I think the key is 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 that we, especially people that are money geeks listening to this, we love to solve for optimization. And unfortunately, I think, Andy, we do it too much. I think we don't solve enough for, seriously, I don't think we solve enough for flexibility. We need to solve more often for the fact that we might not feel later on the same way we feel today about our goals. 
I see people in their late 20s who say online that that they'd be happy living in a tiny house or in a tent. I'm 53 and I'm incredibly more bougie than I was when I was in my 20s. In my 20s, I totally would have been down with that. Now today, I'm not down with that at all. I'm like, nope, nope, that just doesn't work for me. I thought, and you know this, when I, when I moved out of Michigan, I thought Cheryl and I were going to be nomads. I was sure we were going to be nomads. And people like you and I tell people all the time to go play test it. And I, through no fault of my own, got to play test it ahead of time. You know what I found out? It sucked for me. Like, it's great for other people. I hated it. I needed a, I needed a place that was, I love to travel, but I just need a place that's home for me. So I think that, I think that solving for flexibility is important. So even if, even if you plan on working forever, like you and I do, right? Even if you plan on working for a good long time to still have that financially independent date, that's maybe aggressive for two reasons. Number one, I think a lot of people are to some degree competitive and I'm competitive with myself. And I know that if we gamify things and this whole book, as you know, Andy is, is gamified, right? Let's turn it into a big game for ourselves so that it's more fun to go get it. But if I gamify things and say, you know, I want to push this envelope and see how much earlier I can get this done. How much quicker can I do this? You did that with your mortgage, you know? I mean, at some point, it, it starts off putting a little extra money, as you know, toward your mortgage. And later on, you realize you're making this serious roll. Things are really moving. And you're like, oh, let's see if we can roll this ball faster. Like, let's see if we can go. And, and as you know, better than most, the, the more success you have doing that, these little successes, they breed bigger successes. So, I'd say still be aggressive and still set yourself a nice age. But think about this. What's cool, what's cool for people like you and I who want to work forever is if I say to myself that I want to be financially independent by 55, at age 55 and after, if I decide to take a vacation and let the podcast go for a few weeks, I can do it. Because I don't need the revenue. I'm not, I'm not worried about it. And I can go do whatever I want to do then. And how great is that to be doing something because I love it and be serving an audience that, that, that I'm helping out. But I'm not, I'm not beholden to this paycheck coming every two weeks anymore. We'll be back to the show after a word from our sponsor. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, -on -one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. 
Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. And use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Let's jump back into the show. A lot of people are seeking that financial independence or that retirement level, and then I can be happy. Well, we're trying to help you guys today to know that we need to we need to find some happiness within now and that end goal. So let's talk about those intermediary steps. There's lots of other things that we can be saving and investing for. Sometimes it just becomes this sole focus of FI or sole focus of retirement. What else is there, Joe? Let's talk about this. Maybe midterm goals or short-term goals. Let's start midterm, non-retirement stuff. What else as a financial advisor and just your conversations around timelining your goals in your book stacked, what else could we be saving and investing for that maybe would land on this beautiful chart? Those are all going to be based on your goals. But we, you know, I saw a lot of people saving for college for children. That's a big one for many people. What I love once again about timelining is what is that going to cost versus that financial independence going to cost? And as you know, college is so expensive and college costs still going up that it's you have to have a very good way to save that at least keeps up with the rising cost of inflation for college. And other thing I like about timelining is when you see how just grossly expensive this is, you start talking about your values. Am I doing it because the neighbors are doing it or am I doing it because we value? And then the third thing you can start talking about is how much am I going to own as a parent and, and how much am I going to have junior own? Like is junior going to own part of this? And can I teach them some stuff maybe when they're 10, 11, 12 to start putting some money away on their side to start saving for their own things? I don't agree with people that go, well, my kid's going to pay for their college and you never give them as a parent the tools. You have to give them the tools if you're going to expect them to help out. But to do that, I think is a fine decision if you, if you decide that's what you want to do. But it's again, which one's more important to you? Is it more important to be, quote, retired at X date or is it more important to put kids through college? Certainly people save for things like second homes. I've seen people save for boats. And you know, the happiest day in a boat owner's life, Andy. Using the other person's boat? <laughs> I, I always like being friends with the guy who has the boat. As well, that, owning that, it myself. Absolutely. <laughs> that is actually the key to true boat, boat, boatsmanship, I suppose. But because there is that joke, the two best days of the day they buy it, the yes, day they sell yes. it, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> So, but, but I see people buy things, but then, you know, there's a portion of your audience and I think I'm included in this where it isn't about things. It's about, well, 
I want the freedom to travel more. I want the freedom want the freedom to work in my community on nonprofits. Those are actually, people go, well, those aren't financial goals. Hell yeah, they are. They absolutely are. Because you have to have a boss that will let you do that. You have to have the right job and the right relationship with your boss. In fact, for that very reason, Andy, we have a, a chapter on negotiation in, in the book because I think that when you get down to values-based goals, a lot of the time you have to negotiate with a lot of people. You have to negotiate with your partner if you're, if, if you're in a relationship. You have to negotiate maybe with your boss. You, you might have to negotiate with customers, clients, whatever it might be. And, and I'll give you one of the biggest takeaways from that. I'd love to give this whole thing away, but we don't have time for all of it. So I'm going to give you the big one. The big one is every negotiation is a cube. And if you imagine that there's a cube sitting right now between Andy and I, and we're talking through something, my goal should be to see what Andy sees from his side of the cube and the side that I can't see. The quicker I try to understand his side and to see his side of the cube, the better I'm going to negotiate. Because a lot of the time when we negotiate, we do it wrong because we're so focused on what we see. I got to travel more. Like my boss doesn't care about any of that, you know? But if I say, hey, you know what? I think I'm a better employee if I can take two hours off during the day to go work out and use it for health because of X, Y, Z, and here's how I'll make up for it in other times, then my boss gets what they want, which is productivity. They get a better person in me as an employee. It doesn't cost the department anything. And also when I look at, the other side of the cube, I also know that maybe my boss isn't even the final decision maker. Maybe my boss has to has to sell it to her boss, right? Maybe she has somebody she's reporting to, so she doesn't get to do it. So I love this idea of the cube when it comes to negotiating, negotiating your goals. So w- once again, to, to directly answer your question, it's going to be based on who you are. Might be college, might be a house, might be a boat, but it also might be these non quote monetary things that you have to rearrange your world for to be able to still afford to save for these long-term goals that you want to get in your timeline, but also have some, have some life today that is more worth living. I love the cube reference. Again, we're going visual here. It makes a lot of sense to me too, because it reminds me of just the importance of empathy, whether you're negotiating with your boss or you're having a conversation with your spouse. It's a lot easy for me to just just spout all the things that I want, unless I'm taking the time to look at Nicole's side of the cube on what she wants as well. And that way we can come to a conclusion that makes this cube a happy place to live. I think we're kind of hitting on like almost a theme, all of the beautiful stuff that can happen in the middle. And if we don't take the time to either negotiate or plan it out, we're going to be delaying all of this happiness that could be retirement. So let's talk about some of those short-term goals that I think could be solved today, or it could at least alleviate the thing that says, I'm going to do this when I retire. But then you go and do it and you're like, ah, oh, was actually, this is a boat. I bought the boat and now I don't even like the boat. I think that there's a great exercise. This actually isn't in the book, but this is an exercise that I did that really changed everything for me. Because, you know, by and large, people think, to your point, I'll be happy later on. And, and yeah, I'm happy enough now. I'm okay, right? I'm, I'm great. But you think about all change starts with just one simple action. If we can make that change today, we actually start with what age you think you're going to die. So Andy, let's just, let's just do this. 94 years old, you're going to die. All right, let's say it's a year before that, right? It's a year before, you're still healthy, 
things are going well. How does your family look at you at that point? Like, like how do they, how do they envision you at 93 years old? Who are you to your family and to your community? Uh, Somebody that took their time to create a, a family of meaning, a family of value and gave back and then I would dig into, if we have more time, we dig into what that community is, right? What do you define as community? What exactly are those things you want to teach them? Like we go into all those things. And, and, and by the way, everybody write those down. And then you think to yourself, let's say that you are this person who has, who is important to the community, who's, who's helped everybody. You're still somebody who's a resource. Let's say that you said that you're active or whatever it might be like lifestyle wise, So let's say that you died at 94 just because you atrophied. If you were all of these things at 93, how many more years do you think you would live just because If I were to keep going and doing all the things I needed to do between 93 and 94 and I didn't stop? Yes. Let's say that you are, you are helping your family, you're helping your community, you're involved in XYZ things. You see the things that I was, that, that we would dig into if we had more time. Like for me, Texarkana is very important to me. Most of my job like yours is online. I want to be a member of this community. So I'm going to go help build walking trails around town. I'm part of partnership for the pathway. I'm going to make sure our kids have safe routes to schools. Like that's big for me. I want to be at 93 years old. And mine, by the way, was 84. So you're going to live longer than me. But the, uh, <laughs> but, 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 but I would also be very active. I, I, I like to run. I run marathons and half marathons. I love it when we put on a fundraiser every year, which is a half marathon here in town, that it, during that fundraiser, I uh, I see these people in their 80s that are still running. I want to be that guy. Like, I totally want to be that guy. So anyway, so so back to you, 94 years old, you're in your community, you're a valuable resource for your family, you're doing all these things. How many more years do you think you would buy if you would have died at 94 because of atrophy? I think I would have lived my life to the fullest if I had... Yeah, but how many more years? When do you die then? When do you die then? When do I die then? I don't know. If I'm continuing to do everything I love and I avoid the atrophy, I think I've probably got another 10 years, maybe. Exactly. And then the next question is, like, what are those things now that you would do with those extra 10 years that you just bought yourself? I had, man, I would do this. I would do this. I would do this. I would do this. My coach had me write all those things down. And then my coach says, why are you waiting on those things? Why, why isn't that today? So I don't know what those short-term things are that people want, but that's how you go get them. That is how I now try to work from eight, excuse me, from eight, from six. I used to start at eight. I now start at six, but I try to stop by noon. And then right now it's afternoon today, but I've, I've told myself that during this book stuff, I will do book interviews after 12, but I want to be done at 12 and I would be working on things in my community. I want to be working out and I really do that. I, I now have on my calendar checking in with my kids who are 26 Twice a week, it's on my calendar. And even though they're my daughter's in Japan and my son's in Seattle, I want to be there with them as much as I possibly can. So those things are now in my calendar. But those are, you know, it's this is probably the most important part of your timeline. But the thing is, that piece of your timeline, Andy, still has to jive with those, to use the technical term again, jive with those midterm and long-term goals. Like you still had to be able to do all of these different things. And also don't make the mistake of, sacrificing that short-term stuff that I just went over for the long-term things because you think, quote, they're more important. It's more important to be happy later than to be happy. That's totally not true. 
but you do have to have conversations about how much of this can I do right now and still get those long-term goals that are important to me? And how do my long-term goals compare to this thing I want now? And those are wonderful discussions, just fantastic. And another reason why, again, I don't like rules of thumb. It isn't about whether they work or not. Rule of 72 works, 25X works, the 4% rule works, but they're garbage because think about this great conversation you and I have had for the last 40 minutes now. We have this great conversation because we avoided the rule of thumb. Just don't, don't use them. Do a little bit more work and it's going to be so much more, you're going to have so much more texture. Absolutely. Add some flexibility into your plan. Know that if last year you said, I'm going to own rental properties and that's going to be my way to financial independence, just be okay if you change your mind because it doesn't seem like something you want to do. That's okay. Have some flexibility. And I love what we're talking about. Enjoy life today. If anything could be taught after these uh, now we're in our third year of the pandemic. If you've been holding off on experiencing life and you've been you know, shooting for that number that you need to know you have, it's okay to keep saving and investing. I'm not saying that, but also enjoy life. If you're putting off your happiness today until you get to 65 or until you hit your FI, experience life. It's worth living. Did you ever see Indy that Adam Sandler Saturday Night Live skit where he runs a travel company that goes to uh, Italy? Tell me about it. He makes this great point. He's like, I'm so-and-so from Roma Travels and we do travel. We'll take you to Venice and you'll you'll see the canals. We'll take you to Florence and you'll be in Tuscany with the wine and the beauty. We'll take you to Rome and you'll see antiquity. He said, now, if you look at some of our reviews, you might notice that some people were unsatisfied with us. And I just have to tell you ahead of time that if you're unhappy with your life in America, you're still going to be an unhappy person in Rome. <laughs> I love it. If your marriage is suffering while you're in America, your marriage will still be suffering in Venice. (laughs) (laughs) And And he just makes this great point. You can't be happier tomorrow. So, yeah. Let's talk to the person who's listening right now that's saying, okay, you know, planning, that makes sense. But you know what? I'm just going to keep hustling and making enough income that I don't even have to worry about this stuff because income is going to take care of it for me. What would you say to that person? Well, income can take care of it. And I think that the number one thing that I saw when I was a financial planner, and that's been, what, 12 years ago now, but I still see today in financial media, and you see today, is that there's a lot of people out there clipping coupons, bank on clipping coupons, or driving for Uber or doing whatever, when studies show that if you just ask your boss for a raise, your boss wants to give you one. And this goes back to negotiating and doing it right, but your boss wants to give you a raise, and study after study shows you haven't asked. Also, this idea of side hustles, there are so many opportunities to make more money. I'm not that big on things like driving for Uber because I think that the overlords who run those companies keep most of the money. I actually like the new Domino's commercial. I don't know if you saw that. The new Domino's commercial, Domino's has a new commercial that says, hey, when you buy from Grubhub, the local restaurant has to give a concession to Grubhub and you overpay. You pay you pay Grubhub a ton of which the driver gets very little. So Domino's actually has a commercial that says, if you're not going to buy Domino's, eat from a local company and go pick it up yourself. Cut out this garbage middleman. Yeah, because as you know, the drivers, the, the math is difficult. It is, it, it, it's painful. And I think we need to protect each other. I think we need to make sure that if, we're, if we're, we're bringing in more money, that we're doing it in a way that's sustainable. But here's the big thing, I think, Andy, that you're getting to with that question. So making more money is easy. And you can solve it that way, but you can't solve it until you solve your spending problem. Because I see people that make 
$25,000 a year easily bust the budget on difficult things. But I also see people making $250,000 a year that can't make it work because of the fact that they're grossly overspending. So it, it isn't about the top side. It's about the difference between the top side and the bottom. And there's two things to do that we talk about. And this is the early part of the book. The early part of the book is all about where we start and how do we build a foundation. It's how do you stack that first Benjamin. Later in the book, by the way, at the end, we get into all the, here's how to get rich quicker. Here's how to hire advisors that won't bleed you dry. Here's how to do your state planning. Like you kind of go through these different levels. But at the beginning, when you're first starting out foundationally, you need to do two things. You need to set up a budget and you need to track your expenses. And they're two totally different things. And we point out that Thomas Jefferson was probably one of the best trackers of how he spent money on earth. This guy wrote down everything. Like he wrote down all his expenses. If you also know about Tommy J, as we call him in the book, he was broke as F. He was always broke. He owed everybody money, but he knew everybody that he owed money to. So tracking your expenses is great, but it doesn't really help you get out in front of it. A budget helps you get out in front of it. And of course, we point out some of the great places where you can get budgets that, and you've talked to all these people, Andy, I mean, places, you know, if you're a spreadsheet nerd using a, a tool like Tiller, is great because the spreadsheet nerds is very flexible for somebody that wants to know where every dollar is going, either YNAB or Dave Ramsey's every dollar. I like their sponsor of our show, Cube Money. I really like because it's the envelope system, right? But having a budget and tracking is different than, than telling your financial planner or your friends, you're like, yeah, I have mint. I haven't opened it in six months, but I have mint and I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. No, you're not fine. <laughs> You have to find a way. And then, you know, I said no stank about clipping coupons, but really the three things you want to control are housing expense, automotive costs, and your food budget. And the food budget, by the way, is kicking my butt right now. And yours too, probably. Holy cow. I went to the grocery store last week, spent 170 bucks, and I felt like I bought nothing. Like nothing. So I'm, Cheryl and I right now are really working on the food budget. My saving grace has been Aldi. I try to escape there as much as I can because they've got some great prices that are my inflation buster uh, currently here. (laughs) Well, luckily you've got one up the road. We don't have one in Texarkana. So yeah. Well, there are perks of living in Michigan and I do miss you, my friend. (laughs) Totally. That was the biggest perk, being Andy's neighbor. Well, Joe, we've had some great conversations today. Let me hear where we can get this book. I want to hear more about the book, where people can buy it. I've flown through three chapters already. I'm excited to get the real deal in my hands so I can read it. And I know it's out now based on when this podcast is coming out. So tell people where to get it, how they can get it. Thank you so much, by the way, for having me on and talking about getting stacked because I think that the more people we bring along to financial literacy, the better. There's so many people that are left behind. And it's so exciting to be a part of, like you, this movement of trying to make more people, uh, give them the tools that they want. And before I tell you where to get it, I just want to tell you briefly, like how the book was made and how it's kind of a little bit, a little bit different. I was, I was Andy, I was walking through Powell's bookstore in Portland, Oregon. Have you ever been there? No, I haven't. No, I've never been to Portland. I've heard great things. Oh, but yeah, beautiful place. But this bookstore is like a block long. It's it's the only thing on that block. And I feel like like the store, it was a little bookstore. This is, this is in Joe's head what happened just because of the way it's laid out. 
they were a little bookstore and then the store next to them closed and they bought it and then they blew out the wall and expanded the bookstore and then the next door closed and they blew out the wall because there's these stairs kind of to nowhere. Like I feel like on one end of Powell's, the third floor is where the second floor is on the other side. And it's easy to just go get lost, right? There's, there's weird steps all over the place. And uh, so I'm walking around Powell's. I'm in the kids section because that's where you'll find me. And I saw the Hardy Boys detective manual. And dude, when I was in fourth grade, my brother and I, we carried around this thing and we dog-eared it. Like we totally dog-eared it because this, this was written with the help of a real live retired FBI agent. And it was awesome. I mean, my dad on a muddy day, my dad would pull out for work at General Motors. My brother and I would go running out there and we would look at the tire tracks, like analyze that stuff because we learned that in the book. We deciphered codes. My mom would touch like a doorknob and we'd go over there with the tape and we're getting her fingerprint off the door because you're not sure if what mom's up to. So, but I had this idea about how lovingly I thought of that book and what a guide it was for becoming a detective, right? And if I want to be a detective, and funny because I bought it again and I was going through it, and even though it was really campy, I mean, all of those things were usable things. I'm like, campy and usable sounds really fun. Well, then we flew back to Michigan. My mom had come by and she had finally, I was 50 years old at the time. My mom finally gave me all the crap out of the attic, right? So, so finally gave me like the, the father-son bowling trophy that we won at this bowling tournament, my dad and I, or we also, you know, my little league pictures. But the big thing in there was the Cub Scout Wolf Guide. And what I realized from the Cub Scout Wolf Guide, Andy, was that the Cub Scouts gamified things way before all these apps that do it. You know, they're so good at gamifying things and making this fun. And they had every chapter laid out this way. Every chapter in the Wolf Guide, everybody knows this, you're Boy Scout, Girl Scout, all the things you're going to need, the tools you're going to need. And then succinctly, how you do the thing. And then at the bottom of each chapter, quote, achievement, a checklist of all the things to do to show proficiency. And then there's a place for your mom to sign it at the bottom. So stacked is laid out that way on purpose. And by the way, what I just told you is exactly what we told Penguin Random House and the other publishing houses when we were doing the tour to, to quote, sell this book. And it was funny because I felt like such an idiot. I'm like, okay, so what I'm describing is I want to take the Cub Scout Wolf Guide combined with the Hardy Boys Detective Manual, make it for adults and about money. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> and I thought they're going to laugh me out of the room. And they didn't, which was, which was cool. So the book is set up that way where you have these achievements that kind of go on top of each other. There's places for your mom to sign at the bottom. There are things to show proficiency at the end. We also include some interviews and hopefully, man, you can get it everywhere. But I love two things. I love getting it from an independent bookstore like a Powell's, right? Get it wherever you can, but, but an independent bookstore. The audiobook's kind of fun because the woman that plays my mom, uh, <laughs> my mom doesn't play my mom, which is a whole different story, but <laughs> my friend Julie Ray actually, who plays our mom on the show, actually plays my mom in the audiobook, which is funny. But you know what? If you're at the beginning and you're really struggling like I was way back, and I talk about this in the book when I was super broke, man, go go get it from your library, you know? Just just go get it, go get it there and start building your foundation. Now we're here in early January. I'm an audio guy. You're talking about the visual audio kinetic people. When can I get that audiobook? It's out now. Perfect. I love it. 
I'm, I'm going to be consuming this thing real fast. So speaking of great audio, where can people listen to the Stacking Benjamins podcast? Yes, wherever finer podcasts like Marriage, Kids, and Money are distributed, you'll also find us there. You'll find us, by the way, often, I'd say at least, what do you think, Andy, two, three times a year? You hear Mr. Andy Hill there. As long as I'm nice to him. As long as I don't beat him in his, his newest favorite <laughs> board game, um, then, I'm, then, I get, then he invites me. You kick my butt at board games nonstop. <laughs> yes. No, we love having Andy. Andy on our round table and uh, we have a great time. So come join us and you might hear Andy Hill there too. Absolutely. And if you guys learn anything, just don't tell anybody about it because that's, uh, that's what they're all about there at the Stack and Benjamins podcast, right? <laughs> Easy. <laughs> Joe, thank you so much for being here. This was a blast. Everybody check out Stacked, check out Stacking Benjamins. Joe, thank you so much for your time today. Great catching up, man. Great to see you. And man, I miss you. I miss you too. man, you probably felt the love connection there. (laughs) Joe is a great friend of mine and he's sharing a great message that has me thinking twice about my investment goals. Here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with my good buddy, Joe Saul Cihai. Number one, recognize the lizard brain. The lizard brain wants you to take care of and think about the here and now. Hey, it helped our species last this long, so it must be doing something right, right? (laughs) Well, we need to use our evolved brain a bit more when it comes to our investing goals. Investing for a retirement that is 20 or 30 years from now isn't the sexiest of topics, but man, it is so important to start early. Compound interest works its magic best when it has time on its side. So stack those decades of compound interest, my friends. Number two, timeline your goals. I was just flipping through Joe's book. I've got it right here on my desk. And I think the idea of timelining your goals is genius. Before this conversation, I never really thought about my retirement in stages. I thought of it purely as a destination. And man, that is definitely not the case. What I want to do at 60 years old will definitely be different than what I want to be doing at 80 years old. Or to expand that further, I want to start talking to Nicole more about what our goals are at 45 years old or 50 years old. So timelining those goals will definitely help that conversation better come to life. Number three, negotiation needs to involve empathy. Another visual idea that Joe brought up in our conversation was the idea of the negotiation cube. We can fail to succeed with negotiations because we're only focused on our side of the cube and not the other party's side. Think about something you want to get done in the near future. Is it negotiating a raise? Is it negotiating more free time outside of the house with your buddies? Maybe that's a conversation with the, with the spouse. <laughs> well, ask yourself how you can look at the other side of the cube as well. What ways can the other party win? When we think about negotiation with empathy in mind, our results may just turn out to be a win-win for both parties. And those are my top three takeaways, everybody. I would love to hear from you on what yours were from this great conversation with Joe. Please hit me up on social media at Andy Hill MKM, and let's keep the conversation going. 
As a quick reminder, this show is for entertainment purposes only, my friends. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. A big thanks to all the players that helped bring this thing together. Dan Tabbitt for editing our show, Weird Digital Marketing for supporting us on Instagram, and Dan Hines for helping us with our YouTube videos. I really enjoy working with all of you, so thank you so much for your support. Hey. If you want to create some more connections with like-minded people who are on a mission to improve their family's finances, well, you should join us in the Thriving Families Facebook community. This is a free Facebook group focused on helping young families thrive. One thing that we like to do in that group is share our wins. Longtime group member Rachel had this good news to share recently. Our third child just got her driver's license Tuesday and bought a Jeep on Thursday. We match whatever they save for a car up to a certain amount. I love this. What a fun family tradition that encourages saving for teens. Well, it's probably even earlier than teens based on this savings amount. I love this so much that this is definitely going to be a Hill family tradition as well. So thank you very much for that motivation, Rachel. Can I get a round of applause for our friend Rachel with her big family win? Awesome, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing. Very cool. If you want to join our free Thriving Families Facebook community, please go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. You can check us out there or go to Facebook and just type in Thriving Families. You'll have to answer three questions to make sure you're not a robot and you are there for this purpose. That helps us to weed out any of the the bad players. (laughs) So please join us there. No spam, just families. And yeah, I hope to see you there. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from John Gordon. If you think your best days are behind you, they are. If you think your best days are ahead of you, they are. Design the future of your dreams, my friends. Carpe diem. 